Do you feel stuck and unmotivated? Want to create your dream life but don't know where to begin? If you're interested in improving your relationships, communication skills, or feeling more comfortable in your skin, I can help. Together we can determine what's holding you back from living your best life and help to quiet that negative Nancy residing in your head. If you've been interested in working with a coach who is optimistic and authentic and empowers you to be as well, then schedule your free 30-minute chemistry session today by going to empoweredauthenticity.net. Again, that's empoweredauthenticity.net. Hello, party people, and welcome back to another episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Shopa, and I wanted to give you a little bit of an update. Um, if Okay, Ridley would like to say hello. these cats do not respect me (laughs) at all like I literally had to put like baby proof locks on my dresser because he would not stop opening and slamming shut my dresser drawers um and then I also had to take out my nightstands because they have fabric drawers and he would just sit there between like 3 and 5 a.m for like three or four weeks I could not sleep through the night because he wanted attention and he would get it by just like scratching the hell out of my nightstand so I had to take my nightstands out of the bedroom they're now in the living room so I mean there's just a lot of Ridley proofing going on right now and uh I love the little guy I love him and also he's an absolute terror uh who has no respect for me whatsoever but uh Anyways, I wanted to give you all an update on um, my mental health because uh, that's important and it's a big part of, you know, what we talk about on this podcast. Um, So if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I uh, went to the doctor and got my uh, antidepressant dosage increased and, um, you know, if you've not been on an antidepressant before then you might not know that it takes your it takes your body some time to adjust to the dosage um your body's trying to figure out like what is this new chemical and how do i how do i deal with it and so last week i was feeling very like exhausted but also euphoric and felt very much like i was kind of in a dream state um this week it's starting to feel better if you've listened to previous episodes i've talked about the spoon theory and so essentially like spoons equal energy and so it feels like i now have enough spoons i have enough energy i don't have an excessive amount of spoons um like i'm not going to be able to add much else onto my day but before upping my medication it felt very much like I was constantly playing catch up and like I was always missing like one to three spoons um and now it feels like I have enough spoons to do what I need to do and that feels really fucking amazing um you know mental health those of us who struggle with it there is a fair amount of gaslighting oneself that comes with it And so I went back and forth for, I mean, almost a year about whether or not I was going to up my medication because I thought, 
do I really need it? Am I actually struggling? Am I just lazy? Um, and, you know, this progression for me just kind of reiterates that what I was feeling was real. And that feels very validating. So I hope that if you are struggling with your mental health, that you are looking at ways to you know, make yourself feel better because you don't have to struggle. If there's something that can be done, there's no shame in in getting help. And whether that's medication, therapy, meditation, mindfulness, movement, you know, whatever it is, it is, it is worth looking into. Um, and so I'm, I'm feeling better. You know, I'm not feeling like I'm going to take on the world anytime soon. But it's a start, and that feels great. I also wanted to take some time to share two features that you may not be aware of. So the first is that um, you are able to financially support this podcast, um, which in turn (laughs) supports me, (laughs) you know, which would be helpful. No pressure, um, but if you enjoy this content, um, donating... um, any amount that you feel is appropriate can help me to bring on better and better guests, can help me to increase quality and also increase um, the production efforts that go into this podcast. So you can find that information uh, in the podcast description. And you can also call in and leave me a voicemail if you are interested in asking a question or have a thought and want to be featured on the podcast. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, So that also can be found in the podcast description. Um, Also, if you just want to email me and ask me a question or tell me that I'm doing great or (laughs) that I look fire or that you enjoy the podcast, whatever it is, um, feel free to email me, find me on Instagram, uh, send me a carrier pigeon. Don't send me smoke signals. I don't know how to read them. Um, But anything else should be... uh, more than sufficient um but yeah i'd love to i I would love to hear from you anyway let me tell you about this week's guest because they are absolutely phenomenal i had such a good time talking with them and they are so wise and so knowledgeable in their field and so kind and empathetic and trauma-informed and it was an absolute pleasure getting to talk to them. They are a sex and relationship coach. They are an energy healer. Their debut novel, Approach, will be coming out soon. Uh, When those official dates come out, I will absolutely be sharing with you all. I could not get enough of this conversation. I just wanted to keep on talking to them. And so you'll notice that it's a little bit of a longer episode and you'll likely hear me trying to absorb and take everything in. I wanted to squeeze as much information out of them as possible and just absorb it like a sponge. This episode has had a profound impact on me and I imagine that it will be a wonderful resource for you as well. Everybody, please give a very warm welcome to the owner and founder of Erotic Empowerment, Kelly Noel Zeva. Well, welcome, Kelly Noel. I'm so happy to have you today. 
Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I kind of learned about you through a mutual friend, mm-hmm. and I was immediately like, I want to have them on the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I want to be friends with them. So, <laughs> so I'm really glad that you uh, were able to make the time to come on today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Um you know, when you reached out to me on Instagram, I mean, so I've been kind of in Instagram hiatus the last couple months because, um, so a lot of the work that I do is around sexual empowerment. You know, I mean, my business name is erotic empowerment and we didn't know all the protocol for Instagram. And so I was using some hashtags that had been banned and flagged. And so my account got shut down and that was, Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, side tangent, totally. But um, it was kind of demoralizing. And so I haven't been on Instagram very actively the last couple months. Um, And so I just was was on for one day and I was like, oh, I'm so glad that this person hasn't been like waiting for a response for weeks and weeks because that like totally could have happened. So um, but yeah, when you said you wanted to have me on your podcast, I was like, Sure. That's awesome. Like I'm a yes to that. I I love doing podcast interviews. It's probably my favorite way to um, connect with other people on their platforms. You know, it's, it's more, it's more intimate than video some somehow. So I love that. Well, and for me, it's like, I really love the sharing of ideas that happens Mm -hmm. on podcasts and like you you hear like the aha moment. Um, but yeah, please tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Yeah. So I got into the work that I'm doing in late 2019, um, and kind of stumbled into it. It wasn't really a conscious intention. Like I'm going to go and do holistic sex coaching. Um, you know, I had my start, um, professionally when I, when I started my business, um, I'm a trained Reiki master and, uh, was a certified health coach at the time. So was thinking more along the lines of helping people with mindset and holistic health. Um, but really what it kind of came down to is, you know, I'd been following, you know, different coaches, um, like Jordan Gray, for example, is one that I got connected with in like 2017. And, um, you know, was just really doing a lot of my own healing work around sexuality, you know, coming out as being queer and then non-binary. I grew up Catholic, so there was a lot of trauma around that. Um, And so I just kind of realized, like, there's not a whole lot of people doing this work. There's not a lot of um, sex coaches. And especially when you look at the holistic component, um, I think that's that's very rare. You have a lot of holistic psychotherapists now. You have, um, you know, a lot of Reiki practitioners, but combining a sensitivity to healing sexual trauma with um, like more somatic and holistic modalities, that's still um, pretty rare. I mean, I found pockets of people who do that work, um, but definitely like it's an underserved market. Um, And so really kind of where I start is supporting someone in understanding, like, what trauma do you have around sex? Um, And, you know, quite frankly, like pretty much all of us do, because I mean, you know, so I I'm I live in the United States. uh, That's where I've grown up. That's where I've been raised. And our culture is so sexually repressive. There's 
Um, and then there's fetishization of hypersexuality. So the messages that I got, especially growing up Catholic, was um, like, this is sexy and this is attractive. But if you want to be married and you want like longevity in a relationship, like you need to remain chaste and pure until um, until marriage. And, you know, that wasn't a message that my parents necessarily reinforced. But um, again, like going to church every week. Right. That's 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 the culture I was in. And so um, so I just know how much I struggled with my own sexuality, how much I had my own shame around it and really wanted to provide that space for others to to listen and help them dive into those spaces that are so uncomfortable to go into alone. Um, and, you know, then starting to realize that um, I'm just one person. So how can I really start to expand that impact? Because as far as my one oh, my one on one coaching, you know, I can only help so many people and, um, you know, really have been wanting to kind of dial that in because there's so many people with trauma. So I've been starting to um, you know, develop courses and, and other programs. Um, and I'm actually in the process of wrapping up my first practitioner training program where I have been teaching um, other healers how to facilitate uh, trauma-sensitive, trauma-informed past life regressions. Um, so that's one of the modalities that I practice, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, kind of it's one of those holistic modalities that's still not like super, super popular. It's still kind of under the radar, depending on what circles you're in. Um, but then adding that level of trauma sensitivity and really, you know, and I would even say trauma informed because we have specific protocols um, that, you know, I've developed to keep someone safer in the container. Um, and like really the, the first and it's, you know, really founded on transparency. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, like I've been kind of pulling from a lot of things, but really the goal is I want to support people in feeling more connected to their bodies, more empowered, um, you know, in their sexual energy and able to like really wield their sexual energy and, um, more ways. Um, often we think of sexual energy as, oh, it's what happens during sex, you know, but no, sexual energy is rooted in the sacral chakra that's, you know, in the lower abdomen. It's also connected to creativity. It's connected to um, emotional mastery. And so the more that I'm connected to my sexual energy, the more I'm empowered with my sexual energy, the better relationships I'm going to create, sexual, non-sexual, all kinds. Um, the more I'm going to be able to bring creativity into other areas of my life, um, the more comfortable I'm going to be with physical movement, especially things like dance that can be very sensual. Um, so it really has a lot of implications. And, you know, the more that this work expands, I mean, it really has the potential to completely shift our culture and shift our world, which is really exciting to me. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, I always talk about how, how sex is so such a big part of the human experience and sexuality mm -hmm. is such a big part of it and it's something that yeah is always kind of swept under the rug and I think about <laughs> the, the education that I received around sex mm -hmm. and how it was talked about and how it continues to be talked about and it's just it, it's so interesting so I'm really grateful that you are doing the work that you are doing so I just want to thank, thank you. you first and foremost <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Literally. <laughs> I 
I love that. <laughs> um, so how did you kind of come to this conclusion of like, oh, this is what I've been taught, but this isn't this isn't quite right. This doesn't align. How did you kind of figure that out? Oh, yeah. Um, it was not the easiest process, you know, because I I didn't have a coach. Right. I didn't know anything about trauma really until a couple of years ago. And um, so for me, it was a pretty rude awakening in um, college. So I got pretty deep into the Catholic church um, growing up, actually to the point where apparently my mom was concerned about me and like they thought I might become a nun and um, which, I mean, that's a very valid path for some people. And if that's the way they want to, you know, serve the planet, you know, I, I know certain sisters who do a lot of wonderful work. Um, but I, I would say that I became kind of zealous and partly from a uh, place of insecurity. So my starting place in, in high school, you know, I had a number of friends who were evangelical. I was wearing a purity ring. I was attending, uh, I attended the National Catholic Youth Conference. Actually, uh, you know, I, I had been um, invited to participate in a like statewide um, singing uh, competition. It had been audition based uh, or not competition, but um, it, it was called IMEA um, at the time, and um, I decided to go to the National Catholic Youth Conference instead. So, like, if that gives you an idea of, I was super passionate about singing. I had spent the time to prepare auditions, and yet, like, the dates conflicted. So, both my sophomore and senior year, I instead went to the National Catholic Youth Conference. So, like, I mean, I was very deep into this. Um, and didn't really have the awareness of how to look for sources outside of the Catholic Church until I got to college. So college, it was like slam, like completely different experience. It was the first time that I came into contact with people who were gay, who were queer, um, you know, and I had shamed myself around having bisexual thoughts for, you know, while I was in high school, I was like, oh, this is lustful. Like this is, this is wrong. I'm bad. I should feel shame and anxiety about this. Um, and it was also when I started to explore my own pleasure. Um, so I kind of had a, a late, <laughs> later than average, um, sexual awakening, um, you know, didn't masturbate until I was in college. Um, and that was actually kind of what started to disrupt my relationship with the Catholic Church. And it wasn't until I like left the Catholic Church that I really started then to um, explore outside of it. For me, a really key defining moment was my sophomore year. I, at the time, identified as an LGBTQ ally. Um, which sometimes happens before people come out, right? They're like, oh, I'm an ally. It's like, oh, wait, actually, I'm queer myself. Um, and that was definitely my journey. Um, so sophomore year, I was like, I'm an ally. Um, and I was in church, and the priest was, you know, sharing a homily. And, I mean, I kind of tuned out a little bit because I was like, whatever. But then I tune back in and he he literally, I, I shit you not, he said, let us pray for Obama that he changes his mind on gay marriage. Because, you know, Obama was like pretty, pretty vocal or like reasonably vocal about being a supporter for um, LGBTQ rights. And 
um, and this was 2012, I want to say. So it was before, you know, gay marriage had been legalized uh, or b before there was marriage equality. I don't like to call it gay marriage because that totally erases like <laughs> so much of the queer community. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I was like, okay, like you made this super political. Um, that was completely unnecessary. And I turned to my friend, I said, I'm going to walk out do you want to come with me? And she said, no. Um, but I stood up and I walked out of mass. And so for me, that was really like this key moment after I'd already, uh, I mean, been on the receiving end of trauma around, like I'd gone to reconciliation for, um, you know, talking about masturbation. And it was like, it actually caused more trauma, like with this process that's supposed to be healing. Um, and I felt worse about myself. And so all these things kind of started to pile up, right? Um, and after I left the church, after I walked out of that homily, like nothing was really the same. Um, my relationship with Catholicism was never the same because it was such a big break in, um, you know, kind of my reality. Um, and I know I'm not alone. I mean, I'm, I'm part of a, you know, a few different groups on Facebook that are really uh, talk pretty actively about purity culture. And I mean, it is very damaging. And I know that, um, you know, I was probably on the lighter end of purity culture. I mean, I was not in any um, really uh, like th there's there's a lot of, you know, uh, I guess sometimes even cults that go a lot deeper into that and are a lot more repressive than what I experienced. Um, but I just, you know, I was very disconnected from my body. Um, shamed myself for having thoughts and experiences that were perfectly um, like normal and part of my experience as a human. Um, but it, it took a lot of like willingness to explore these new frontiers and, um, you know, then getting into spirituality, kind of more that new age spirituality um, that really started the healing process. So I had been exposed to that because my my mom was Catholic and my dad was kind of, <laughs> he's a hodgepodge of things. <laughs> um, but I would say he's probably in the camp of spiritual, but not religious. And um, so that's ultimately kind of where I started gravitating is, you know, I had been exposed to things like past lives and reincarnation, just at least like talking about them growing up. Um, so it wasn't like completely foreign and I didn't have as far of a journey as maybe some folks do if they've never even had that exposure at all. Um, so I started getting into tarot, started getting into crystal healing, started getting curious about Reiki. And then that was really kind of my entry point for doing some of this deeper work. Um, and, you know, then that really deepened more into, um, learning how to facilitate past life regressions um, and doing swaps with, you know, some of my colleagues in that and um, just continuing to heal. Cause the more that I heal my own stuff, the greater and deeper space I can hold for others. Um, so that's where continuing to stretch my edges um, and go into places that are uncomfortable while also being aware, okay, wh what is my edge so that I don't fly beyond it and, cause more trauma, right? Or re-traumatize myself. That's really been my ongoing journey and probably one of the biggest processes, um, healing processes I've gone through in the last, you know, eight or nine years is 
doing things that make me uncomfortable. And sometimes it doesn't work out the greatest. And sometimes I do cause more trauma, but like, that's also part of the learning process. So, you know, one of the things that, um, kind of dovetailed with that as far as my own healing was, um, I was very curious about kink and BDSM after I went to a sex shop for the first time. So I was reading about it and reading about it. But then at some point I had to take that action to be like, okay, I'm actually going to go to a play party or I'm going to go to a munch. I'm going to, um, and for the, for in case there's any listeners who aren't familiar with that scene, um, a munch is just, uh, it's like where people meet for lunch or dinner and, uh, you know, it's people, they dress in vanilla clothes. So basically like street clothing that you'd be familiar with. Um, but it's a bunch of kinky people. So it's a great way to get introduced to the community and to talk about these concepts, um, in a way that's, you know, safer and non-threatening. Um, you know, and at some point I had to take that step. I couldn't just keep reading about it because then you get into, I was getting into that paralysis of inaction. Um, And so recognizing when I'm in that space, like, okay, this has been coming up for me over a period of time and I've been wanting to do this and I haven't done it. So I kind of just need to take a leap of faith and how can I take that next baby step forward? You know, not that big, like just launch in because it is important to do these actions safely um, and mindfully. um, But I do, you know, but it is time for me to take that step. And so that's part of what I encourage my clients to do as well is, you know, at some point it's like, okay, how can I support you in taking this next step? Yes. We want your nervous system to be safer. We want you to feel safe. Um, but like, if you've been curious about like playing with a vibrator and you've like researched the vibrator that you want, what's holding you back from purchasing it? What's holding you back from using it? If it's sitting on your dresser, you know, like that's just one small example. Yeah. Yeah. That's, thank you for all of that. Like I, I, it totally makes sense that you're a coach. Like (laughs) I, like I'm just getting like such great energy and and openness from you. Thank Um, you. (laughs) And so it it just really makes sense. And I appreciate your, your openness and your honesty. Um, And so I know that you've touched on like kink Mm -hmm. and BDSM and Mm -hmm. you have found um, kind of a way to incorporate it in healing and healing trauma and I'm so curious how you came to that realization because like that's not (laughs) exactly what you think of when you think of healing trauma right yeah yeah so I will admit like that is still um you know because part of the work that I do is meeting my clients where they are Mm -hmm. and going in and saying like we're gonna heal this and incorporate kink and BDSM like not many people are ready to go there. Um, and so I am very much in the infancy of really doing my scholarship in that space. Um, but that came up after having learned how to facilitate past life regressions. Um, and I had a, a partner that I was working with, you know, we were doing a scene and, um, they, had a past life that they were aware of and, um, they dropped into it. They had already done some healing around this scene, um, you know, around this lifetime. And, um, 
we actually did some light impact play. So I was, you know, essentially the the dom, the top in that scene. And I was, um, you know, and it was an impact scene. And so we were combining these two modalities within the same space. And it allowed um, my partner to go deeper and to release trauma that they hadn't accessed. So that was really my introduction to that. Um, and it's something that, you know, I'm like very much aware, like, yes, that is where, like, that is kind of what I'm really bringing and birthing to the planet. Um, but again, because like, there's, it's such a niche thing. Um, (laughs) um, it's, it's still, it's still newer. So, um, so that's where I've been really focusing on like refining my skill set with, um, you know, facilitating safer um, past life regressions and being able to teach others because I learn as I teach. Um, And then kind of the next step is really supporting people with getting comfortable with BDSM because you have to have comfort in both places before combining them, right? When we think about nervous system overwhelm, um, if I'm trying to throw too many new things um, I'm going to short out the nervous system. Someone's going to have a trauma response. Um, it's not going to be pleasant. Um, so, so that was how, how I stumbled into that and, um, you know, was very grateful for that experience. And I have, you know, also just found in my own healing, like that, um, you know, I've had certain past life memories and I'm like, oh, this is why I've been unwilling to explore certain like kinky items. So one that I've spoken about um, is that I had a past life as a sex worker, as a sacred sex worker. So, you know, really incorporating that energy healing and the, you know, um, like body based, like I was, I was a prostitute, right? I was an escort. Um, But like incorporating those two together. And then um, in that I guess I should (laughs) offer a trigger warning here, trigger warning, content warning of uh, just like description of sexual violence and sexual abuse. Um, But, um, you know, I was violated um, anally and orally in that lifetime. And so I had, you know, I've I've had kind of like some some heebie-jeebies around blowjobs. Like I've had to be really mindful of like, okay, what position am I in? How's my partner responding? And I can get activated really quickly. Um, and so, and same thing with like anal play. I was, it was a hard limit for me for the longest time. Um, and even so, like, I still haven't really explored it to the greatest extent. And so after, um, you know, seeing that lifetime and getting clued into, oh, that's where the trauma is. That's why I'm feeling that. Um, it then gave me, you know, kind of this, um, this place to, okay, well now I can start to explore and start to expand that and heal that because I need to do a certain level of healing if I'm, you know, cause one of the scenes that I want to try at some point is where I'm dropped into that lifetime and I'm actually, you know, them being penetrated from both ways. Um, because again, it's going to like bring that really, really deep healing. Um, but to try to go into that without having done lots of healing beforehand, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to call red right away. I'm going to want to exit the scene. Um, I'm probably going to have a horrible experience and probably uh, overwhelm my nervous system. So it requires, I mean, really years of healing um, to, to do some of these things. Um, you know, and it depends, on, of course, on the scene and like the level of 
you know, I mean, doing, doing light impact versus doing what I just described, right? Like there's a certain level of, um, like there's a different level of intensity. Um, but yeah, so that, so that's why like, it's, it's one of those things that yes, like I feel very confident in guiding someone into those spaces and supporting them with that work. And because it requires someone to have been doing healing work around sexuality, around trauma, um, and probably in most cases to already be comfortable or familiar, at least with BDSM, um, you know, there's not a, there's not a lot of people who are like, yes, sign me up. Like, I want you to like create these scenes for me or guide me into these scenes and facilitate because, um, I mean, I'm sure they're out there too. Like I'm also kind of on the radar, under the radar still, <laughs> but, um, it, you know, I mean, like it just, it's, it's one of those things that I consider it like the third tier of healing. Um, you know, and this is not something I've seen. This is something I've kind of come up with as far as my own scholarship, but like that first layer is like talk therapy. I'm talking about my issues. Uh, you know, it's very healing to be witnessed. Um, but I'm not connected to the body. That second layer is where I'm connected to the body. Somatic processing, uh, things like EMDR, uh, brain spotting, uh, past life regressions. Um, in many cases, you know, I guide my clients to breathe and to focus on their body as they're in the regression. Um, Reiki, things that are bringing me in and actually lifting the trauma out. Um, that's the second layer. The third layer is where you not only are connected to the body, but you're actually like stimulating the body, right? Because in a regression, I'm not interacting with that person. I'm not touching them. Um, but when you have that additional sensory input and you're already feeling these very visceral emotions, right? It grounds you even more into like a past life or into an earlier, you know, if you're healing trauma from earlier, you know, in childhood, for example, you can still do this process. Um, it's not just for past lives, but, um, you know, it requires someone to be really conscious as a facilitator, to be really aware because, you know, any little thing could set off your um, your person who's going in and they already, you know, and they need to be very aware and have done a lot of the healing work um, so that they don't, you know, get re-traumatized because it's very then easy to like slip back in fully into the memory or into the experience because you're having that deep um, visual from going in um, to the subconscious mind. And then you're also having that additional sensory input, you know, where you're being touched um, so that's where it's definitely like the deepest, <laughs> deepest layer of healing as far as I'm concerned, as far as I've seen. Maybe there's something deeper, but I haven't come across it yet. <laughs> yeah, that's such a great explanation. And I also just want to call out really quickly, you have a fantastic resource um, available on your website, uh, the Kink Checklist. Um, oh, yeah. With, with partners. Yeah. And you also incorporate, um, you know, trauma responses into it as well. Um, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, I'm guessing you're talking about the erotically empowered limit list. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So um, I developed that because, well, so I've been, <laughs> been in the kink community for like, you know, since 2018, but I've been interested in kink since 2015. And, you know, my partner was not was unfamiliar with kink. So I was like doing all the research and everything. And I came across limitless, but 
boy, I gotta tell you, it's so overwhelming. And for somebody who's new to it, like spending three hours saying, yes, I'm, yes, I have experience in this. Yes, I'm willing to do this to this degree. I mean, it, it is, it takes so much emotional capacity. And if I have trauma in that space, like uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to shut down and not do it. And I'm going to be like, fuck that, like never going there again. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to create a resource for my, for my clients and, um, you know, was like looking at different limit lists. Like, is there something that I can repurpose? Um, but ultimately it was like, I want something that's going to be really supportive for, for newbies one. Um, but also people that have like a lot of trauma. And one of the things that, um, is really common with limit lists, um, you know, where I'm evaluating, you know, yes, I'm open to this activity or no, I'm not. Um, so first of all, there's usually like between 250 and 300 inventory items that is standard. Um, and they're all visible at the same time and all categories. Right. Um, so I realized that being able to filter that was super important. And that's also why the default setting is only on activities that are mild, um, just because um, if I have trauma and I'm curious about this and I'm see just even looking at some of the inventory items that are more extreme or um, more advanced, um, I might have a trauma response. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I really, really thought about <laughs> um, people with trauma when I was creating that resource. And, um, and there's a few different components to it. So there is the limit list. Um, but there's also like an aftercare checklist and a negotiation checklist um, video. You know, there's a there's a video on how you can take the limit list and then like turn it into a scene. So, um, yeah, that was something that, you know, just was like a big passion project. It took me like a weekend to create the limit list and then like another week to create all the other assets. Um, but like definitely it's it's something that I think has a lot of power for for the community um, as a whole, because I think there's a lot of people who are curious about kink. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey brought so much curiosity, even if it wasn't a healthy representation of kink or an accurate representation of kink. Um, and so I think there's you know a lot more people who are open to exploring and curious about exploring. Um, but again, I think where you get started and how you get started. Um, just has such a huge bearing on your overall experience with kink and BDSM. And so, um, you know, I was very fortunate to start in a community that was very um, consent focused, um, you know, it was like, you do not touch somebody unless you have their explicit verbal permission. <laughs> like that was a rule at the play party. Um, that is not always a rule, you know, like, um, depending on what event you go to, what community you're part of, there's very different rules and very different guidelines and agreements. Um, so I, you know, I've had a very positive experience with kink. I know other people who have been in communities where there's been consent violations and been lots of trauma as a result. So with this limit list, I was really wanting to create a uh, digital product that was going to support people with having a positive experience um, you know, regardless where they are with kink. I mean, it's appropriate for people who are super experienced, 
Um, it's appropriate for people who have trauma and it's appropriate for newbies. Um, so it really, if you're into kink, it's like, anyway, I didn't mean this to turn into a sales pitch. I'm just no. like, it's just like, it came from this place of like, there's nothing good enough out there, mm -hmm. especially for people who have trauma. And so, um, yeah, so that's why I created it. I, I was really impressed by it and I'm a, a spreadsheet nerd. Like I fucking love Excel. <laughs> so it, it made my, it made my nerd heart very, very happy. <laughs> um, so really quick, uh, you've, you've talked a lot about past life regression and yeah. um, that's something that I myself am very curious about, oh, sure. um, but for folks who may not know anything about it, can you, can you give kind of a brief description of yeah. what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so basically, um, I'm operating under the assumption or the belief, this is a belief that I personally hold, um, you know, but even if it's not a belief that my clients hold, there's, there's other ways that we can, you know, work with it. Um, I guess I'll start there is we process through story. I mean, as a culture, we have been sharing oral histories since the dawn of time. <laughs> um, and if you don't believe in past lives, then this is how a regression might show up for you. But um, our bodies store trauma. Um, you can actually go in and like there are certain locales within the body where we're more prone to trauma. Um, and, you know, think of it like um, just like you can see bruises, you know, on your body when you bump into, I mean, and, and a bruise is a form, is a symptom of physical trauma, right? But the same thing happens with mental and emotional and spiritual trauma as well, is um, there's a place that's a little more sensitive um, in our arm or in our chest or, you know, somewhere um, that holds that trauma. And the way to access it is through, um, first of all, awareness, right? <laughs> you can't heal anything I'm not aware of. And um, often by breathing or movement. Um, so that's where if you've heard of breath work, it's really, um, really powerful to breathe into these spaces um, and clear it. So, um, so with past life regression, we are operating under the assumption that um, our souls are eternal and have had multiple lifetimes. If that's not a belief that you hold, um, just acknowledging that sometimes when there's really deep trauma, it's easier to process things through story. So I may experience like visuals or a narrative of something that I haven't experienced as my current self as a way to deal with the trauma because actually going into that specific memory would be too challenging. Um, so during a past life regression, I guide somebody into a very relaxed state, um, you know, pretty similar to meditation. We incorporate a couple elements of hypnosis. Basically, the goal is that you're able to access your subconscious mind. Um, so often when we are in um, an, awork, an awake and very alert state, our um, uh, prefrontal cortex, which does a lot of the reasoning and a lot of the thinking and the rationalizing, um, it's very active. And so really getting to um, <clears throat> memories that are stored deeper um, beyond conscious awareness is challenging. And so that's why relaxation and guided meditation are great uh, entry points. Um, 
So, you know, I guide someone in, we have this visual imagery that they go through um, and then guide them into, okay, this is the, this is the timeline that, you know, you're, you're, you're choosing to see, um, to heal this trauma. Um, and I've gotten questions like, how do you know it's real, right? Like for people who have never done this, they're like, well, how do you know it's authentic? How do I know it's authentic? Like, how do I know this is legit? And, you know, my experience has been <laughs> like, this will be my, this is my response usually is, well, first of all, what often comes up are these really strong emotions. And so like, you can't really fake that. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, I've gone into regressions myself where I'm just like, you know, feeling intense anxiety or like emotion, like, I mean, it's just so visceral um, to the point, like where I'm almost transported back into um, like a different body. Um, so that's usually what I'll share with folks. And obviously the, the more you're comfortable um, with meditation, with things like Reiki, or if you've done EMDR in the past, um, and you're kind of more open, um, your body's going to let you go deeper. Your body only gives you what you can handle. So if you're very close to the process, you're not going to get as much. Um, but if you go in, you know, very curious, very open, very willing, you're going to, I mean, I haven't had, I haven't had anybody who hasn't like, who's been like, nope, I didn't experience anything. That was a total waste of time. Um, to be fair, those people probably just don't even go into these processes because they're like, this would be a total waste of time. Um, Typically, if you're if you're open and you're curious to the point where you're wanting to try it, um, you're going to experience whatever healing you need. Um, and so so I talk about how visceral it is for folks. I talk about that. Um, I haven't had anybody who hasn't had an experience with it. Um, and I also talk about, you know, I mean, there's lasting effects. Like I've worked with multiple clients now um, and I've seen how after they come out of a regression, like their nervous system has stabilized in a way that it wasn't prior to the session. Um, and having worked with people and done regressions with them over time, I've seen the profound level of healing that's possible, how people are more willing to connect with their bodies, um, are less sensitive to trauma, less sensitive to getting activated. Um, I mean, so it definitely has a real impact. I think part of what separates kind of the process that, or the way we do past life regressions from a lot of other practitioners is that um, we really, again, have that trauma sensitivity. So we're not take, blowing you past your edges. We're, we have a consent system to make sure that, okay, if, if it's getting to be a bit too much, we pause, we focus on breathing and releasing the trauma before moving forward. Um, you know, there's really there's, there's no one else I know, I mean, not to say they don't exist, but there's no one else I know in this industry that has that kind of framework or, um, you know, protocol. Um, and so that also allows me to reconnect with my body, stay present in the experience and go deeper, um, and also heal more. So, um, yeah, anyway, that was a long explanation. I, I, I can totally nerd out about like any and all of these topics. <laughs> I I really appreciate it. I'm like trying to think like I want to squeeze so many questions out of you. <laughs> so I I appreciate it greatly. I also want to want to know and I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to want to know as well. Um being a sex coach, 
Yeah. How do you interact with clients? Are you in the bedroom with them? Is it more of a talk therapy? What does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. So typically it's going to look a little bit more like talk therapy slash, um, you know, I've kind of spoken about all these um, like somatic processes that I guide people through connecting with their bodies and their emotions. Um, That's really what it's going to be. It's just that often like the sexual trauma is the focus. It's the point of focus. Um, It's not that I wouldn't, you know, work with clients in, in the bedroom. Again, that would just kind of be something that would be negotiated and depending like obviously on a number of factors, like, um, are they local? Um, is that something that we've agreed to as part of the, you know, contract or is it being, you know, um, compensated extra? Cause that would probably be, you know, involve travel and, um, probably involve more emotional labor on my part, um, involve different, um, different boundaries. Um, but you know, definitely like it is not a sex work relationship as far as like, um, you know, that is, that is not how it is constructed or construed. Um, it is really about the education and the, um, you know, and I'm not a therapist, so I wouldn't say like therapy or, or counseling, like it's coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that that's really the core of how it's structured. Um, and again, there's, you know, there's always flexibility depending on who I'm working with, what their needs are, what's going to be most effective and supportive. Um, you know, I did have, um, a couple that I was working with. So, cause I, I work with couples, I work with singles, um, you know, you know, people who are, um, um, divorced, um, it's kind of like across the gamut. Um, though, you know, people who are divorced or are single tend to be most common, um, just because there's often more stuff to, to work through. Um, but I was working with a couple and we were working on re, uh, reconnect, like helping them reconnect sexually. And, you know, as we were moving through trauma and stuff. And so they had gotten to a point where they were wanting to connect with each other. And so I said, okay, we're going to pause. Um, I'm going to invite you to go to the bedroom for like seven minutes and do these things. Cause it was kind of like, uh, you know, I talked about stretching my edges and like, it gets to a point where I'm kind of just in my head about it. I've thought about it. I'm okay with it, but I just kind of need to take that action. And that was where they were. Um, and so I was like, okay. Um, you know, cause they had the container of our coaching session. I said, go to the bedroom for seven minutes, and, you know, do these things like, you know, and you know, come back and report back, you know, like what came up for you? How did you feel? Um, so And that was largely because of their boundaries. Like I was very willing to, you know, be on screen if, you know, and have them be in their bedroom um, doing that if that was more comfortable. Um, You know, so it really just, it largely depends on the boundaries of the clients and, you know, of course my own boundaries and what's been agreed to and negotiated. Um, And in general, it tends to look more like a, uh, you know, kind of traditional like coaching therapy setup as far as, you know, I'm on Zoom, you're on Zoom, we're talking. um, And then depending on where you're at, I'm guiding you to connect with certain parts of your body, breathe, release. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, you brought up Fifty Shades of Grey. And I, (laughs) yes. And uh, you are in the process of publishing your own novel, correct? Uh, yes. So I, as of, as of our recording this at the early part of September, 
It is 70% drafted. So I have definitely some work to, to finish, um, but it's, yeah, it's called Approach. It's going to be the first book in a series. Um, and yeah, it just, it just decided, to, it was like, this just needs to be written and it's just going to come through. Um, cause it, it's actually based on my relationship with my partner. I have his consent, of course, to, to write it and publish it. And he's, he's, you know, very supportive with that. Um, but it's, you know, it shows more the journey of someone who's one healing, healing trauma, right. Um, instead of like, Re one of the one of the things that I really dislike about Fifty Shades of Grey, I guess I'll start there, is that it depicts a really toxic relationship. I mean, aside from the awful writing, <laughs> it's, it's um, really bad writing. It's Sorry, really bad writing. <laughs> um, it's really bad writing, and I mean, not to say that I'm like the best writer in the world, but like this is a craft that I've studied for you know, two decades. I mean, I was like a fan fiction writer. I have a, you know, degree in English. I, uh, like, so this is something that like, at least in fan fiction circles, like they're like, Oh, your stuff's really good. I'm like, great. Thank you. Um, but like, so the writing like is one issue, but then as a kinkster, as a kink educator, as a relationship coach, everything else is another issue. And I've only been able to make it through like the first hundred pages of like, the first book because it's just so awful um, because there's consent violations on both sides. You know, I mean, um, and this is actually something that um, Lee Harrington, you know, he uh, he it has been a little uh, somewhat of a mentor in the past. Um, and he is, um, you know, a kink educate kink and uh, sexuality educator as well. Um, he brought up how you know, and I almost want to say Bella because like I was reading the original fan fiction version that was like Twilight based. Um, so Anastasia, um, so Anastasia was like wanting to be with, um, Christian, even though he said, Oh, I only do kinky relationships. And yet she pushed. So that was a consent violation. It's not one that people often talk about, um, but it was something that Lee Harrington had spoken about. And I was like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. That's true. Um, but then, too, there's a lot of toxicity with how Christian um, builds his relationship with Anastasia. And that's more what I was noticing because, um, you know, I often work with, um, you know, cis, cis women and um, non-binary folks. Um, and so, I mean, he has... Because um, consent is more than yes or no. We have to consider, are there power dynamics here? And um, there's a lot of power dynamics with um, Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, he's very wealthy and he's a man. And, you know, so Anastasia isn't at a place of equality. It's not an egalitarian connection. And um, if Christian were doing his due diligence, like he would be really letting Anastasia guide the relationship to some degree, obviously within his boundaries, but he's dictating, if you want to be with me, this is what it looks like. Um, and, you know, so it's just, it's not a very um, conscious relationship on a lot of levels. 
And so that's that's what I think my novel does differently. You know, my um, my partner and I <laughs> we're we're pretty not traditional in a lot of ways, um, and that's like going to be more evident as I continue writing novels that go later in later in the series. But um, we met uh, we met at a kink uh, at a play party, so we were both already into kink. Um, we were already um, coming from that shared operation. And yes, he's more experienced, he's older. Um, and so there was also a power dynamic in our own relationship. Um, but what he did differently and what then Kieran, Kieran is the main, well, one of the main characters in Approach, um, is really created a space for um, like, what do you want? What do you want to explore? What would feel joyful for you? Um, and we use that language. We actually use that language in our relationship. Um, it's not just about what are you willing, right? Because uh, consent is about an enthusiastic yes. It's a hell yes. It's a full-bodied yes. Because if there's trauma, I might say yes, but I might really mean no, because there's a part of me that still needs healing before I can say yes. Um, and so this, this novel really is looking at how can I create a conscious relationship? What does it look like if I'm spinning through, you know, a relationship that's not healthy? Um, how do I release it? And how do I create a healthy kink dynamic? What does it actually look like to explore kink in a community setting? Because often a lot of the media we see around kink and BDSM, it's just a heterosexual couple and they're just playing in private. But the reality is that um, kink and BDSM, if you're actually involved in the scene, it's very community oriented. You know, I mean, um, like there's workshops and there's um, events and people make friends through this, like lifelong, deep, lasting friendships. And that's rarely communicated in popular media around kink and BDSM. Um, in addition, again, it's very heter heteronormative. Um, and there's a lot of queer people in the kink scene. Um, you know, it's people who are, I think, more sexually um, open as a as as a whole. And for people who are queer and um, you know polyamorous, like they already have a lot of deprogramming or reprogramming around their sexuality, around their relationship dynamics. And so, um, so my hypothesis is that you know it's easier for them, or they're more often more willing or curious to get involved in kink, or you know they get involved in kink and then they realize, oh, I'm actually poly or I'm queer. Um, and so, what I've experienced is there's there's a lot of trans people, there's a lot of queer people, there's a lot of poly people. That's rarely depicted in these you know in these in these novels, even in films like Secretary. You know these these really well known examples of kink and BDSM. They're just not accurate. They're not. It's not to say that you don't have dynamics out there like that. There's plenty of heterosexual couples that are just playing by themselves, but you're completely missing this bigger, broader segment. That is so it's so important. And I'm glad that you are that you are bringing this to light. And uh, I'm I'm very confident it's going to be better written than, than Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> if it's if it's not, then I have failed horribly somehow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. It sounds like there's a lot of, of representation and mm -hmm. also it, it is it's it's bringing light to 
making making sex and sexuality something that we talk about and something that doesn't have to maintain in the shadows and be yeah. that that naughty dirty thing right or fetishized i mean because yeah. i think that's a thing too within like kink and bdsm novels is like you know or 50 shades of gray is sexuality is fetishized instead of normalized right and um you know it's and that's not to say like that fetishes are bad like I mean, fetishes are a big part of kink. And, um, but there are certain things that instead of treating it with respect and dignity and honor, you can be, you can objectify it. And if you're objectifying somebody's sexuality or, you know, just like, let's say objectifying women overall, right? Like that's really problematic because it reduces, like it completely negates the humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, or the original um, beauty of that thing or that person. Um, and so I think what you spoke to is like, you know, um, making these convert, like normalizing these conversations around sex and sexuality. And I would also say like, also normalizing like that sex is not necessarily like a private practice that ha has to happen behind closed doors. I also wanna make the distinction that kink and BDSM does not have to be sexual. Like that is often a very common misconception because again, in the media that we see, it's always combined with a sexual dynamic. We only see it in the context of it's a sexual relationship and they're happen happening to tie each other up or flog each other or what whatever. But the reality is there's a there's asexual people in the kink community as well. They have no desire for sex, for example, or any erotic touch. And yet kink and BDSM can be a really powerful way to connect with others um, and to connect with their own bodies and to like experience altered states of consciousness. And so that's also something I like to speak about because um, for me, it's kind of just like, duh, they're separate. But most people don't know that. Most people don't realize that and often conflate the two. Um, I like to say that kink and BDSM is erotic um, but it's not sexual because there is something, even if I'm just doing an impact scene, there's still like, I'm connecting with this deeper part of me. I'm connecting with my flesh and it's, it's often a very sensual experience, but it does not have to be sexual. And, um, and I have had, I've done scenes with people that I have not been sexually romantically attracted to. Um, and even this is something that, again, is in the novel. So I'm sh this is kind of some spoilers, but like when it's like based on my own relationship, it's kind of like, it's like, whatever. It's still, it's super juicy and you should still read it. Even <laughs> if you're like, oh, I know they're going to end up together. It's like, yeah, but you don't know like the whole journey. And let me tell you, like, it was a fucking hell of a journey <laughs> to get there. Um, like, I'm still like in awe of like, oh my God, what have we gone through just these <laughs> last two years? Um but my partner and I started out as, as platonic play partners. Like, um, you know what I mean? For, for us, that was kind of, that was a phase. Um, but, you know, the intention, like we weren't engaging sexually. We, like, there was no sexual touch. Like um, it was, it was just the kink and BDSM. And yeah, there was some like other toys and erotic play, but there was no, it was not a sexual relationship. It was not a romantic relationship. That is possible. And that is, that does exist. 
um, within the kink community. And again, it's not something that is portrayed or very often represented. Yeah. Thank you for that, for that clarification. Um, I, yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't, don't have that uh, realization. And even I myself sometimes, you know, conflate the two. Um, mm-hmm. So I appreciate that immensely. Um, I know that we've kept you over time and I apologize for that. I just, totally okay. I, like when you speak, I get sucked in. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to give you the opportunity to let us know where can we, where can we follow you? How can we support you? How can we find your book? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so again, this is as of September 8th. Um, so First of all, look at the look at the links underneath the podcast because I'm gonna I'm gonna get you my updated links as they are available. Um, as of right now, I have an email list. Um, I am on Instagram, um, and we have a private Facebook community. So those are probably the three easiest ways to connect. Um, the website is empoweredErotic.com. Um, and if you're like, how do I get on your email list? Um, there is a start here tab with an email opt-in. Um, we can also, um, you know, drop the, since we talked about the erotically empowered limit list, we can drop the link to that below too. And, um, if you purchase it, you will also be on my email list cause that's how things work. Um, and, uh, so if you're like, yes, I want to be on the email list, that's, that's how you can get connected. And then, um, the Facebook community is called the Sexy Spiritual Badasses, um, which I just, I don't remember how I came up with that name, but I absolutely love it. And it's just, it's like, it's, yeah, because that's what we are. Is like, it's really meant to be this space where like our badassery is celebrated, um, you know, and we do our best to have it be an inclusive space. So, um you know, there are people across the gender spectrum in that group. Um, we've had some asexual people join the group. Um, actually, when I led an event called Conscious Kink Boot Camp, there were a few uh, ace people who said, like, thank you for, you know, um, for doing this and like for, you know, talking about how kink can be, um, you know, non-sexual. Um, so you can join our uh, community and, um, you know, you're you're welcome, um, you know, regardless of what your sexual um orientation is, what your uh, gender identity is, your gender expression. Um, and, you know, we also do our best too, that if it, if, if there are, you know, violations to really um, do our best to like, okay, how can we adjust the group moving forward so that it's a safer container? Um, that's really important to us. Um, and then I said Instagram. Um, so my handle is Kelly, that's K-E-L-L-Y dot, like as in a period dot. Um, Noel, N-O-E-L dot Zeva, Z-E-V-A. Um, so that's how you can follow me on Instagram. Um, again, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this interview, like I've been like super not posting on Instagram recently, um, but you can always like, you know, send me a message if you're like, hey, like how do I connect with you more? Um, that's a thing. Um, so yeah, those are the three ways to follow me um, as far as supporting the work that I do, um, you know, sharing this podcast episode would be great. Um, and it also like supports you then, which is awesome. <laughs> right, so, not bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a win-win. Um, so yeah, if, if you're like, yeah, oh my goodness, like this was amazing. Like share, share the episode. 
Um, if you have been wanting to get into kink, uh, definitely the erratic em erratically empowered limit list um, is a great place to start. And, you know, that's a great way to support the work that I do. Um, and then uh, the novel um, tentatively is coming out in, uh, in November. Um, so depending on when you're listening to this, um, it may or may be out, may or may not be out. Um, but if you're wanting to purchase that, it's going to be called, I mean, it is called Approach. Uh, it's the Crystalline Kink series. Um, and my author website uh, is slash will be um, Kelly Noel Zeva. So K-E-L-L-Y-N-O-E-L-Zeva-Z-E-V-A.com. So just my name.com. Um, and that's where you can, you know, get links to purchase the book. Um, and we are going to have paper copies paperback and digital. So if you're like, I like real books, I'm with you there. I don't have a Kindle. I probably never will. I know it's bad for trees, but I still do it. Um, so yes, you can get a paperback copy once it's available. Awesome. I'm I'm with you. I'm in the, the paperback camp. <laughs> I'm like, I love the way a real book feels. Like, yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Kelly Noel. This has been absolutely fantastic. I you need to do a TED talk, honestly. Like, I, know, I, I don't want to add more work on your plate, but you are, you're so fabulous. And I'm so incredibly grateful that you took the time to come on my podcast. Well, you are so welcome. This was a lot of fun. I, I love doing interviews, like, like, especially when it's with people who, you know, which, which you do, you have such an awareness about this space already. And so like, we're able to have a more involved conversation, um, which I just so love and appreciate and um, just appreciate really all the thoughtful, intentional questions. Um, and yeah, it's been my pleasure. As far as the TED talk, um, yeah, that I'm sure that will happen at some point, but definitely like um, not in 2021. <laughs> Oh, oh God, no, no. I want to give you a little time to prepare. Right yeah, now. like maybe we can aim for 2023. <laughs> okay, okay. This seems acceptable to me. <laughs> Great. And then you can, you know, you know, if you haven't seen my TED Talk on YouTube, be like, hey, Kelly Noel, like I'm cracking the whip. Where are you at with that? Be like, remember when we, like I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm consenting to that right now. So, okay. yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. listening to Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like more content from Empowered Authenticity, make sure to follow on Instagram at empowered underscore authenticity. We'll see you next week. In June 2009, Alice Duroc was disappointed to discover that the sex toy industry was limited when it came to non-phallic sex toys for the lesbian and queer community. There were, of course, a variety of pleasure products for women, but there were not many aimed at queer women. It was this that inspired Alice to create products specifically for lesbians and queer women. Tired of dealing with catalogs and sex shops catering to heterosexual couples or straight women, Alice launched Wet For Her in 2011. Her vision was to create a convenient online queer sex shop accessible to lesbian couples around the world. Ten years later, Wet For Her is an internationally established favorite. 
The shop has grown to include best-selling lesbian sex toys such as strap-on dildos, double dildos, and essentials like lube and foreplay accessories. Wet for Her set out to design sex toys that were not flesh-toned or intended to look realistic. All toys are made of 100% medical-grade silicone, ensuring the product is phthalate-free while providing a silky texture that is easy to clean and maintain. The Wet for Her Finger Sizing Guide provides an estimate sex toy size based on the number of fingers represented. The online selection is always expanding, and most recently, a new line of gender-affirming transmasculine products have been added to the shop. This includes an array of female-to-male packers and dildos. Wet for Her was originally created for lesbians by lesbians, but the mission and the toys don't discriminate. It is Wet for Her's goal to make this a welcoming space for queer women and the folks they love by celebrating a diverse range of bodies, genders, and orientations. So whether you identify as lesbian, bisexual, or queer, cis, trans, or non-binary, Wet for Her welcomes you. Fast and discreet shipping is offered throughout Europe, Australia, the United States, and Canada. And I have to say, I love their products. They are very pretty. Um, I have, I think, four different items from them, and I have been extremely happy with all of them. Um, they are a joy to play with and also to look at. And the suction, like the suction cups, are the best I've ever seen. I highly, highly recommend this brand. And you can check the link in this week's episode description to explore Wet For Her's beautiful collection of high-quality and queer-friendly products.